thankful to be here this morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, open them to Revelation chapter number 10. Uh, Revelation chapter number 10. We uh, started a series <clears throat> back before the holidays, and um, we broke for the holidays, and uh, we're resuming uh, where we left off. So we're in Revelation chapter Number 10 today, I'm excited as we move forward. Uh, this morning, I would like to give us a review to kind of catch us up to speed. Where are we? What's happening in the book of Revelation? How did we get to this point? And so if you go back with me, uh, some of you have been here uh, through the series, uh, but if you go back to Revelation chapter number 1, uh, in Revelation chapter number 1, uh, the Bible says in chapter number 1 and in verse number 19, it gives us an outline of basically the entire book of Revelation. So the Bible says in Revelation 1, verse number 19, Therefore, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place. And so when you're talking about the book of Revelation, uh, understanding this, you've got to understand the purpose of the book before you can walk through the book and understand the book itself. When you're looking at the book of Revelation, it's the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. One revelation of Jesus Christ with many visions throughout. Okay, so it's one revelation of Jesus Christ with many visions as we move forward. Uh, uh, and so keep that in mind as you're reading through the book of Revelation, and it really will clear up a lot of weeds that you fall into along the way, uh, trying to figure out all different kinds of stuff that we read about as we move forward. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about him being exalted, knowing that he is in control of all things. And so John the Revelator uh, uh, was meeting with Jesus Christ, and the meeting went... And, and, and it begins in the very beginning of the book. And it's there that John the Revelator, John the Writer, John the Apostle, uh, uh, was the one that wrote this book. And, uh, and it was there that he told him, write the things which you have seen, uh, first and foremost. And so in Revelation chapter number 1, uh, what you read about and what you see is you see the first vision of Jesus Christ unveiled in all of his splendor and all of his glory on the throne of heaven. And so you can read through there and just see Jesus Christ for who he is. When he came the first time, he came in humility. We won't see that ever, ever again. Today he is, he is unveiled in all of his splendor and in all of his glory. He said, write the things which you have seen. And then he goes from there, he said, write the things which are. And so in Revelation chapter number 2 and chapter number 3, he continues writing, and the things which are would be the church age within which you and I are living even today, even this point. He writes, and so he writes to the church. In fact, if you read through Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, you'll find seven different letters to seven literal churches that existed. Now, although they were written to specific churches in a specific time, uh, uh, they, they definitely apply to all of mankind. In fact, when you're reading through there, you will find complete churches, but also individuals. Each one of us can relate and receive the truths that he's writing to the churches. And so you're reading and you're, and you're reading in chapter number two and three about these letters to the different churches. And then all of a sudden in chapter number four, it begins in verse number one with an invitation to John to come up here. And all of a sudden, in a moment, in an instant, he goes from writing about what's happening on the planet Earth to the presence of heaven almighty. He goes into heaven. And so in chapters number four and in chapters number five, we read a scene that is happening 
and heaven. It's an amazing scene. The question that must be asked is this. What in the world happened? How in the world did we get from uh, the church? In fact, when, when, when we read verse chapter 4 and 5, we read about the church in heaven uh, around the throne of God. How in the world did that happen? So we have what's called the rapture. Uh, the rapture is not given in detail in the book of Revelation, and so you can read about it in other places. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, a couple of weeks ago, did a sermon on the rapture. Uh, the rapture is that time uh, that's unannounced, that we have no idea when it's going to happen. Even Jesus doesn't know the time. So if you ever have somebody that says, oh, I know when it's going to happen, that's baloney. Uh, you don't know. Nobody knows except for the Father. Even the Son doesn't even know when that's going to happen. But there's going to come a day, and that's the next thing that's going to take place when you're talking about the, 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 the eschatological timetable, the, the events of the end times. The very next thing that happens after the church age will be the rapture of the church. That's in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, Jesus will call the church up, and we meet him in the sky. What an amazing day that's going to be. Well, if you're reading through the book of Revelation, you don't read about that, but I believe that it's inserted. We can say it happens between chapter number 3 and in chapter number 4, because in chapter 4, we have a scene in heaven where all of creation is around the throne of God, and there's an amazing uninhibited worship service like we will never experience this side of heaven. When we're there in his presence, and the angels are singing out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. He created all things. There's no one like him. He has no rivals. He's God alone. And there's a worship service that's happening in the presence of God, beginning in chapter number four. And then all of a sudden, as we continue this worship service into chapter five, what you'll find happening is all of a sudden, uh, uh, God Almighty is on the throne, and he's holding this scroll, this book, the title deed to all the earth. And there it is. And, and, and John the Revelator is looking, and he says, who? Who is worthy to open the scroll? Who's worthy to open the scroll? And they looked around and said, who is worthy to open the title deed of all the earth? If you remember what happened. So what happened is in the beginning, Genesis chapter number one, God Almighty created the heavens and the earth. You got to stick with me. Y'all all right this morning? Genesis chapter number one, God created the heavens and the earth. And when he created the heavens and the earth, he created mankind. And to mankind, he gave dominion over everything to rule the earth. And man sinned against God, and he gave up his dominion. He gave up his rulership, in fact, to Satan. And so that's why the Bible, in fact, if you read through Scripture, you'll find that the devil himself is, is, is identified as the ruler of this earth. Why? Because man gave that to him. So it must be bought back. And so Jesus Christ came, the spotless Lamb of God, and on the cross he paid the price to redeem, to buy back that which we lost through our sin on the cross. So here we are back in chapter number five, all right? Here we are in chapter five. There is a worship service happening, and who in the world is worthy to take the scroll from the hand of the Father and open it? Who is worthy? And John began to cry, and all of a sudden the angel was looking at John, and John, and, and he said, why are you crying, man? <laughs> There's somebody that's worthy. And the Bible says that John opened his eyes there in heaven and he looked and he saw one that was like a lamb. But it wasn't just a normal lamb. It was the lamb that was slain from before the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ. And Jesus went and he grabbed the scroll from the Father. And all of a sudden the scroll was sealed with seven seals. And he begins to open them. And chapter 5 ends. 
And with the opening of the scrolls after chapter number 5, the scene shifts from the heaven room back to earth because the scrolls contain the rest of time. And as he begins to open the scrolls, we begin the period of time that we talk about known as the tribulation. And so in the book of Revelation, the tribulation period begins in chapter number 6, and it continues on down through 19. And so we'll be reading, we're in the middle of the tribulation now. And as you read through the tribulation, what you find is this. It's divided up into three sets of sevens, three sets of sevens. First of all, you have the seals. There are seven seals holding the scroll. And then after the seven seals, you will find seven trumpets. And after the seven trumpets will be seven bowls of judgment. And so as you read through chapter number six, all of a sudden we have in rapid succession these seals being opened. Now could you imagine what happens on planet Earth when the church is raptured? When the church disappears, and in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and in the ensuing chaos that happens around the planet, you have people disappearing all over the planet, and with their disappearance comes plane crashes, car crashes, fires, major, major chaos taking place. And so as you read the seals being opened, what happens on planet Earth and it is, it is prime for the ascension of what we would call the Antichrist. And so with the first seal being opened, we see the ascension of the Antichrist. Why? Because the world is looking for an answer. Who can help us? It's falling apart. What's going on in this world? And so he ascends right there with the first seal. And then with the second seal, as you begin to read uh, through Scripture, what's taking place is there's killing that happens on wide scale. Why? Could you imagine what's happening on planet Earth? All of a sudden, peace is gone. There is no more peace, and people begin to kill one another. And then the Bible says there's going to be famines in the land. There's going to be pestilence. There's going to be people who get sick. And then the Bible goes on to say that the Christians are going to be martyred like never before. Those that get saved during that period are going to be martyred. It will cost them their life. And you can read about that as they open the seals, the fifth seal, to be specific. And then the sixth seal gets opened, and there's worldwide major catastrophe that takes place. And then all of a sudden, at the end of chapter 6, and as we go into chapter number 7, what you read about is there's a delay. There's a little, there's a little, uh, uh, a little intermission. It's, a, it's like a, uh, chapter 7 is almost like a parenthetical passage that happens between the sixth and the seventh seal being opened. And so it's there that Jesus says, hey, during this time, I know the world seems as though it's falling apart, but let me tell you something. I'm going to set my seal on 144,000, and there will be multitudes that get saved during this period of time. In fact, it's a period, it's, a, it's, it's almost as if as he's writing and as he's dealing with John the Revelator, he says, you need to catch your breath. I know that I've given you a lot, but let me tell you something. I'm still in control. The world might seem like it's falling apart, but I am in control, and I still am accomplishing my purposes and my wills. And just know this, <clears throat> that it's not falling apart. And so he gives a parenthetical. And then in chapter number 8, what you find happening is the opening 
again of the seventh seal. And with the opening of the seventh seal, we're introduced to the seven trumpets. And throughout that chapter, chapter number eight and chapter number nine, you have a rapid succession of the opening or the blowing of trumpets. And with each trumpet blast comes a new judgment. And by the time you reach the end of chapter number 9, by the time you reach the end of chapter 9, I believe that this world will be completely unrecognizable. In fact, by that period of time, not only has the church gone away, but half of the population that is left behind will have died during those few short years on the planet Earth. Could you imagine the catastrophe happening on planet Earth? And so we have those six trumpet blasts. And then in chapter number 10, we have another between the 6th and the 7th. Again, trumpet blast. We have another little parenthetical passage, and that's where we are today. We're, between, we're in between the 6th and the 7th trumpet blast. When chapter 9 closes, although half of the population have been killed, the people still remaining are so hard-hearted, they will not, they will not, they will not repent. In fact, the Bible describes them over in chapter number 9. It says this, The rest of mankind, verse number 20, and the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, they did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood which can neither save nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders nor of their sorceries nor of their immorality nor of their thefts. And so John Can you imagine? He's sitting there hearing it unfolding and thinking, what in the world? And so again, God says, hey, I'm going to give you a little break, a little respite. Catch your breath, catch your breath. And also just another reminder that, hey, I am in control even still, accomplishing my purposes till the end. All right? Y'all with me? Chapter 10. All right, here we go. Chapter 10. My title this morning is The Bittersweet Book. The Bittersweet Book book. Revelation chapter 10. I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire, and he had in his hand a little book which was open, and he placed his right foot on the sea, and his left foot on the land, and he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. Now when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and don't write them. Verse number five. Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it and earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it, that there will be no delay any longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. Verse eight. Then the voice which I heard from heaven I heard again speaking with me, saying, Go and take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. And so I went to the angel, telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it 
and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it. And in my mouth it was sweet as honey. When I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. God, give wisdom to your word. <clears throat> when you're reading this passage of scripture, it's an interesting scene. It's another vision uh, that we have that John is writing about. And uh, in this vision, he sees a mighty angel or a strong angel. And, uh, and, and when you're reading, you, you, if you've been reading or if you uh, follow others, you will find that, 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 in fact, when you're talking about this one being described, uh, uh, there's discrepancy between biblical scholars when you're talking about who is this mighty angel, who is this strong angel. There are some that would say, hey, this is Jesus Christ himself being described. There are others who would say, no, it's not Jesus Christ being described. And then there are others that say, I don't have a clue who it is. And so this morning, when you're talking about this one in this vision, I personally believe that this would be a picture of Jesus Christ for several reasons as we move forward this morning when you're talking about the way he is being described. First of all, I want to bring your attention to the person, the person of Christ, the person of Christ. In verse number one, I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of Fire. When you listen to the description, number one, he's being described as a strong angel, as a strong angel. In fact, some people would say, well, it can't be uh, uh, Jesus Christ because he's being described as an angel, to which I would say, well, this wouldn't be the first time in Scripture that Jesus Christ himself is being described as an angel. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, we have pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus Christ. These pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament are known as theophanies. And what that simply means is just a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and, and several times they mention him, they talk about him as an angel. Not only as an angel, but I want to draw your attention to something else because some would say and suggest that, well, because he's Entering into a vow, when you're reading down there in this passage of Scripture, we have him entering into a vow in verse number 6. Some would say, well, Jesus wouldn't be entering into a vow, to which I would say, well, there's an angel that entered into a vow that nobody, nobody, nobody would say that it's none other than Jesus Christ back in the book of Genesis. So the Bible says in Genesis chapter number 22 and in verse number 15 and 16, the Bible says this, then the angel of the Lord <clears throat> called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, by myself, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. And so we talk about uh, and we see a pre-incarnate uh, appearance of Jesus Christ being referred to as an angel in Exodus, the Bible says it like this. Chapter number 3, verse number 2, very familiar story. Moses going out into the wilderness to the burning bush. And the Bible says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. Let me read further. I know it's not on the screen, but so Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside... 
uh, to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And so I believe that it was Jesus Christ right there. We have other instances throughout the Old Testament, but I believe that when we're talking about strong angel, it would not forbid him from being Jesus Christ, talking about Jesus Christ. Not only do we see a strong angel, we see one who is... Cloud, uh, clothed with the cloud, clothed with the cloud in verse number one. What do you mean clothed with a cloud? Well, clouds have always been the garment of God. That's what they are. Whenever you're reading through Scripture, you see God Almighty clothed in clouds. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, the Shekinah glory of God. And we read about that over in Leviticus in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter number 16 and in verse number 2. And the Bible says it like this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil. Talking about the holy of holies. Before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. God Almighty makes an appearance in the cloud over the mercy seat. But then also at the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter number 17 in verse number 5. The Bible says this, While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so when we see clouds in Scripture, it reflects the presence of deity. And this angel, this one being that John sees, is robed with the clouds. Not only is he robed with the clouds, the Bible continues to describe this one. And the rainbow was upon his head. And the rainbow was upon his head, which which, by the way, when you're talking about the vision that John has had, the very uh, vision that he had in chapter number 4 and in verse number 3, in the throne room of God Almighty, there, there was a rainbow encircling the throne of God, the sign of the covenant between God and mankind. It's a reminder that in the midst of God's judgment, he's merciful. Aren't you thankful that we have a good God like that? In fact, the rainbow was established back in the book of Genesis in the story of Noah. Some of you are familiar with the story of Noah. During the days of Noah, wickedness was running rampant on the earth, and God said, I'm going to flood the whole world. And yet Noah and his family, he saved. They were on the ark. Imagine this story when he first saw the rainbow. Imagine the story. Here Noah and his family had been on the ark in a very dark, dark, dark place, a desolate place, in the midst of the ark. And then all of a sudden, when they had the first appearance, the first opportunity to walk out, they walked outside. And all they could see around them was desolation from the flood. They could smell there was a stench from death that had occurred. It was dark, but yet they looked at the sky. And in the midst of that dark moment, they saw the covenant of God. Beautiful, beautiful rainbow. It's a reminder, it's a reminder that God Almighty, although he is just, he is also merciful. This one had a rainbow upon his head, and his face was like the sun. His face was like the sun. And it's the same description that we read about. Revelation chapter number 1, verse number 16 when John the Revelator saw Jesus Christ, he said, oh, his face is brighter than the sun. But then you go back to Matthew chapter 17, in that moment of transfiguration that we read about earlier, the Bible says this, and he was transfigured, Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. 
What are you saying? I believe that what we're seeing, again, is Jesus Christ. The feet like pillars of fire. Revelation chapter number 1, again, going back to the earlier vision that John the Revelator had. Revelation 1, verse 15, his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. Talking about the fire which purifies the judgment of Jesus Christ. You see, the first time we saw Jesus Christ, he came as the Lamb. Today, when we see him, he's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. It's who he is. He's not coming for games. He's not coming in humility. He's coming in all of his splendor and in all of his glory to judge the world. I believe this is the person of Jesus Christ. If you continue to read, I think we see the power of Jesus Christ in verse number 2. And he had in his hand a little book which was open. He placed his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And it goes on from there. <clears throat> this is the same book that we read about. This little book, this scroll, that's now been opened. The seals have been broken. And so he has this scroll, this little book, standing there. The angel of the Lord. And when you read back at the encounter in Revelation chapter number 5, what we see in heaven is this. The question was asked, is anyone worthy? Is anyone worthy? And the only one worthy was Jesus Christ. And in this picture, we have him still holding the scroll. And yet, not only do we have him holding the scroll, we see him with the title deed. In fact, you say, what, what is the scroll all about? What is this book? We call that the title deed to the earth. And he's taken that which has belongs to him. And when you look at the gesture of the angel, what we have in this angel is we have an angel standing there. And we have one foot on the sea. And we have one foot on the land. And we have another hand that's lifted high and mighty as though the conquering king is saying, hey, I have come to claim that which is mine. That's the picture that we have in this book, in this vision, as that of the conquering king. Uh, uh, in fact, the Bible says over in Colossians chapter number 1, if you go back there, Colossians chapter number 1, verse number 16, the Bible says it <clears throat> like this. It says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And so Jesus is coming back to claim that which is rightfully his own. And he begins to speak. And so what we have is all of a sudden we have what I would call the proclamation of Christ. The proclamation of Christ beginning in verse number 3. And as he, he, he begins to speak, there are four things that we're going to notice as he speaks. But the Bible says, and he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. And so we have the sound of a lion. In fact, the Bible says back in Joel in the Old Testament, there's multiple places in the Old Testament, but one of them would be Joel chapter number 3 and in verse number 16. In Joel chapter 3, verse number 16, the Bible says, the Lord roars from Zion. 
and utters his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth tremble, but the Lord is a refuge for his people and a stronghold to the sons of Israel. So we have this scene. And John, could you imagine John sitting there and he's watching, he's looking, he sees the vision. And he's sitting there with a pen in his hand. And all of a sudden, he hears God speak. And he begins to write. But the Bible says, God said, don't write. Don't write what I just said. Don't write what I just said. And so that becomes to us what we would call a mystery. In fact, throughout Scripture, we see several different mysteries that happen where God doesn't tell us what was written. When Jesus Christ himself was there with the woman caught in adultery, and he begins to write on the ground. We're not told what he wrote on the ground. Now, there are some pseudo-theologians that will tell you, yeah, this is what was written. You don't know. It was a mystery. It, it, it was a mystery. And you, and you know what happens when you have a mystery in Scripture? When, you, when, when God doesn't give that answer in Scripture, you know what you do when God is silent? That's what you do. We don't have that answer. First thing God said wasn't written. So don't write it. Don't write it. But then he goes on from there. And the Bible says this. Then the angel, verse 5, whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land, lifted up his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, and he created heaven and the things in it and the earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it, that there will be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. What's the second thing he proclaimed? There won't be any more delay. There won't be any more delays. You know, through Scripture, in fact, in fact just a few chapters ago, we see the martyrs who are martyred during this tribulation period earlier during this period. They're martyred for their faith, and they're gathered together, and they're asking the question, they're asking the question, how long, Jesus, how long, how long, how long are you going to tolerate? How long? It's a little while longer. A little while longer. I'm delaying. I'm delaying. Why are you delaying? I, well, Scripture gives reason for why he delays. In fact, the Bible says over in 2 Peter chapter number 3 and in verse number 9, 2 Peter chapter 3 and in verse number 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Why? Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I want people to come to me. I want people to be saved. I'm going to give them a little more time, a little more time, a little more time. And then you read at the end of John, or at the end of Revelation chapter number 9, nobody else is willing to repent before God. So it's time. There is no more delay. It's time. And the mystery of God is revealed. 
what is that mystery of God? We're not exactly sure. He doesn't tell us what that is. There's a lot of mysteries concerning God. It might be just who he is. It might be, hey, why? Here's one of the great mysteries. Here's one of the great questions that's asked throughout history of humankind. Why, if God is so good, is there so much bad happening in the world? Doesn't he care? You ever heard that one before? Hey, it's time to set it straight. There's no more delay that's going to happen. The mystery, that which was once concealed is now revealed. And we see several mysteries throughout, in fact, the New Testament. It might just simply be how it's all going to come to end. But the second thing this angel proclaims is no more delays. But then the third thing that he says, verses number 8, 9, and 10, is he says, I, I want you to digest this book. I want you to, to eat it and digest it. And the Bible says, Then the voice which I heard from heaven I heard again saying, Go, take the book. It's in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea. So I went to the angel telling him to give me the little book and he said to me take it and eat it and it will make your stomach bitter but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey and I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it and in my mouth it was sweet and when I had eaten it my stomach was bitter digest it you know scripture God's word is to be digested in fact, when you read through the New Testament, he talks about his word. He says, man, my word is like milk. My word is the bread of life. My word is meat for you to eat. Digest my word. And when you're talking about God's word, God's word has a way. Because it's so balanced of sometimes it's sweet, and then other times it's bitter. Sometimes it's the same truth that does both. I heard a story about a pastor that had a guy that always said amen you know that amen man amen amen you know how they do amen whatever and the preacher noticed it man one week he didn't say amen whole day no amen and he went to him after service and said hey man don't you know that when you say amen it's like saying sick them to a bulldog you know helps me <laughs> and, and, and the man replied he said well it's hard to say sick them when the bulldog has you by the seat of your pants. <laughs> sometimes God's word is an amen, and sometimes it's an oh man. Sometimes it's sweet, and sometimes it's sour. And when it comes to the end times, when it comes to the prophetic word that he just ate, that he just swallowed, the end is coming. For the believer, it is so sweet to know that, man, this old world is not my home. i am finally reached my home. It's no more crying, no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow. I'm with Jesus, and it's going to be incredible how sweet that is to the believer. But then when you continue to... Listen to the story. I have family members and I have friends and I have people I'm trying to share the gospel with. And if he comes, and if he comes soon enough, they're going to hell forever and forever and forever. And that is sour to my stomach. 
And he says, hey, that's what the God's word will do. And so John hears that word, and, and he's thinking, what do I do? What do I do? And he closes out the chapter with saying, hey, don't just digest the word, but declare the word. Go and take the word to those people. Don't just sit there and say, well, too bad for them, so sad, but rather take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. People need to hear, and if you don't share, and if I don't share, how will they hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? People are perishing. God, help us understand there is a heaven and there is a hell, and Jesus Christ makes all the difference in the world. God, help us to carry the gospel to the rest of the world. God, give us an urgency. Do you know him? It's going to happen soon. It's going to happen soon. Are you ready for that day? Has there ever been a time in your life when you cried out to the Lord Jesus Christ, God save me. I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I'm unclean and I know that I've fallen short of your glory, but I believe that you came and that you died on the cross for me, that you are the spotless lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world and that you paid the price for my sin completely on the cross. And God, I want you to forgive me. I want you to come into my heart and save my soul. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Have you ever called on his name? And if you haven't called on his name, I don't know when he's coming, but he's coming again. And I pray to God that you be ready for that day. What a day. What a day that's going to be. You join me? Prayer. As we close today, just asking the question, are you ready? And if you are, there's a world that's perishing. Maybe today you're here. And the thought of the rapture scares you to death because you know you're not ready. You are not ready. Man, today, it's my prayer that if you're here and you've never called on his name, that you call on his name. I'm going to pray, and after we pray, we're going to sing a song, and after we sing that song, <clears throat> I'll be down front, others will be down front. We're going to wait for you this morning. If you're here today you've never called on his name to be born again i'm not talking about going to church i'm saying a relationship with the living savior if you're not saved today i'm inviting you to come call on his name we're going to wait for you oh you come After the song sung, we're here. Lord Jesus, been good to us. You've warned us in your word. You've given us your word. God, your word is so sweet. While at the same time, God, it's bitter. God, I pray for those today that have never called on your name. 
that this would be the day of salvation. Oh God, I pray for brothers and sisters today that we would understand, God, that our time is not our own. Oh God, help us to be faithful witnesses to a world that's dying. God, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you so much. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.